Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business. The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Hugo Chavez was elected president of Venezuela in 1998 after an earlier unsuccessful coup attempt. Chavez enacted numerous left-wing economic policies, frequently described as another example of social, socialism. And when Chavez died from cancer in 2013, real GDP per capita in Venezuela was almost double where it was when he was elected. Was this an example of socialism working? Assessing the economic performance of a new leader or a new economic policies is a very challenging question for economists. What methods do we use, and what do they show about Venezuela's economic performance since Chavez's election? Joining me on eConversations to discuss his research on these questions is Dr. Kevin Greer, who is the Gordon Tullock Professor of Political Economy with the Free Market Institute at Texas Tech University. Dr. Greer earned a PhD in economics from Washington University and prior to Texas Tech taught at George Mason, Tulane, and the University of Oklahoma. He has published dozens of highly cited papers in economics and political science. Welcome to eConversations, Kevin. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. And I should point out to the authors, we've known each other for years, so we're, we're, long, we're friends for a number of years, so uh, we're, you know, we're glad to finally have you on the show. Um, and so we want to start here because we're going to be talking about some of your research that you've done with a couple of co-authors uh, looking at uh, first Venezuela and then expanding that out as we'll, we'll talk about to uh, some other countries in, in Latin America as well. So uh, tell us a little bit because we'll start and talk probably primarily about Venezuela. Tell us a little bit about uh, Hugo Chavez and, and uh, how he came to power. And I know he's a very highly polarizing fa figure. There people think he's both uh, great and then not so great. Right. And that points out kind of or emphasizes the what you talked about, the challenge of evaluating outcomes is that mm -hmm. people will look at the same data and say Chavez did great. And then other people look at it and said Chavez did terrible. So mm -hmm. that makes it quite a challenging enterprise. Anyway, he was elected, as you said, in 1998, had been a colonel in the army, had a failed coup, went to prison, was a long shot candidate, sort of came out of nowhere at the end and, and won the election in somewhat surprising manner. And then immediately undertook to, to just redo Venezuela's economy, politics, society. He uh, wanted to abolish the existing legislature, get rid of the old constitution, have a constitutional convention for a new, a new form of government. When the Supreme Court ruled that he was doing this too fast and in the wrong sort of in an unconstitutional manner, he ended up putting... Uh, a bunch of new justices on the Supreme Court that agreed with him and got that ruling reversed and got his constitutional convention and got his new constitution and got a supermajority in the new unicameral Congress and started to rule by decree with the power that his Congress had given him. 
And one thing to note is that uh, Venezuela is actually an oil-producing country. So it's in, in South America, but it's probably like the, the one South American country that, that really does uh, uh, export a lot of oil. So it, it does have some re mineral resources here. Yes, it's a member of OPEC, I think the only Latin American country that's a member of OPEC. And it's a very oil-dependent economy, right? It's not a diversified economy like mm -hmm. the U.S., basically a, a commodity exporter. And he did uh, undertake some policies like uh, you know, attempting to nationalize the, uh, the oil industry and nationalizing some other uh, uh, industries, some other companies as well, right? So the, it wasn't just talk. Yes. It wasn't just political stuff. He was doing some economic uh, restructuring. If you want sure. to think of it that so way. So the, the oil industry was already uh, a national, so he didn't nationalize it, but he took much more political control oh. over it, taking out like leaders of the industry that were had an engineering background and putting in as, as executives and as higher ups, people that were more political, political mm -hmm. agents. But we did transform the national oil industry in that way, made it much more political. Okay. And so another case that, we, uh, that you look at it in uh, one of the papers was uh, the case of uh, Nicaragua. And in fact, the first uh, time that, that Daniel Ortega came to uh, uh, power in Nicaragua, but that was also advancing uh, what would be, I guess at the time we, we would be calling it communist uh, agenda, but there's certainly uh, some left-wing uh, or socialist policies in, in Nicaragua as well, right? Yes, so this is 1979. 20 years or so before Chavez, the, uh, the, the Sandinistas abolished the Constitution, abolished the presidency, abolished the legislature, abolished the national courts. They nationalized the banking system and the fishing industry. They nationalized about 20% of the arable land of the country, and so on and so on and so forth. Very much the government owns everything kind of an approach mm -hmm. to, to running, running their country. Yeah. So... If, if we want to then turn it to economic performance, we have uh, so a, a couple of graphs here and to tell the listeners or our viewers here, they focus on the uh, dark, uh, dark line on this because well, what this is showing is for Venezuela's case, what happened to GDP per capita after uh, uh, Chavez's election. And we see that although it stagnated for a while, it did eventually uh, take, take off and, and get to almost double the level it was when he was when he was elected. So we could look at that and say like, oh, well, I mean, slow start, but his policies, maybe it took a while for them to get going, but they, they looked, uh, had some promising effects. And then we could look at um, Nicaragua here and it's sort of like a, a cliff. Um, they didn't do well. So we could simply look at these and sort of say, well, okay, Venezuela seems like maybe they, they could have actually been successful. Nicaragua, not so successful, but that's not a very good way of, of actually trying to assess what's going on in these countries or, or to attempt to actually, uh, I guess, more validly just uh, evaluate what was happening due to these uh, changes in economic policy. Is that? No, I, I don't think it is. I mean, we always have to consider what would have happened without the policy change. What like people like me would call, what is the counterfactual? Yeah. <laughs> so what we, ideally, we would like to see Venezuela in 2010 with Chavez and Venezuela in 2010 without Chavez, but right. that's impossible. So we have to try and figure out, if we want to say what was the causal effect of Chavez, we have to figure out some way of saying what would have happened if he hadn't been there. And it's trying to come up with a counterfactual that makes these kinds of experiments or these kinds of analyses 
challenging. Yeah, yeah, and so this is a big part of what economists are always trying to do because we don't get to uh, conduct like laboratory experiments. You, you, there's no way you can take Venezuela in 1998 and have an alternative history where Chavez doesn't come to power and, and directly right. compare these two, right? Sure. I mean, like ideally, it would be great if the United Nations could randomly assign 50 <laughs> countries in the world to be run by, by left populists. Mm -hmm. And then we could just wait 20 years and compare the outcomes of them and the others and just like an, you know, like a drug trial. And we'd be very happy. But, you know, we can't do that. We can't randomly right. assign national policies. We can't randomly assign leaders, which means we just observe what happened. And it's up to us to come up with a convincing way to say what would have happened in the absence of that policy or in the absence of those leaders. And another issue that, especially when you're looking at changing economic policies, is uh, what economists refer to as the endogeneity of the policy and the very fact that the policy might have been chosen for certain reasons that then is going to really mess up your attempts to try to do any kind of statistical analysis. It's sort of the, the same kind of thing you'd see is like, well, you know, hospitals are very dangerous pe places. People go to hospitals <laughs> and, and, and they die there at a high, very high rate. But, it, you know, it's obviously not because of that. But it's the same kind of issue that we would face in, in a, any attempt to evaluate economic policies, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. So this is something a person like me would call selection bias or non-random selection into treatment. People die in hospitals. The hospital is a bad place to go. That's because people that go there are already quite sick. Mm -hmm. right? So we can't just simply look at the raw numbers. We have to figure out, you know, again, what's the appropriate counterfactual? It's not healthy people sitting at home. It's people that were equally sick that didn't go to the hospital. And that makes it, you know, uh, there's a lot of judgment involved there. There's a lot of trying to convince your readers and convince the public that you're making a reasonable set of counterfactuals. And yeah, exactly right. You know, economists have, have devised a, a whole range of, of different uh, uh, statistical methods to try to, to make these comparisons. And, and we're, we're always devising new ones. And we'll, we'll talk about the ones that you applied here as a relatively new one. But what we could have, I mean, just as a, a, a first attempt to do this, you could say, like, well, let's, let's look at how Venezuela did relative to some relevant comparison countries. Like, say, well, it's a Latin American country. You could look and say, let's compare it to other Latin American countries or other OPEC countries as, as at least a first way to try to co uh, compare. So what, what would work or not work about such a comparison? Okay. So... One thing that you can see right away from this chart that makes Venezuela so challenging is that at the beginning of this sample, Venezuela was rich. Mm -hmm. Venezuela was a pretty rich country. So, you know, it's richer than all the Latin American countries. It's more volatile than all the Latin American countries. Its volatility looks a lot more like OPEC, which makes sense because those are countries that rise and fall on oil prices. So just looking at Latin America for your counterfactual, you know, for what would happen, just compare Venezuela to Latin American average is, you know, not really going to work very well. The volatility is way different. And while OPEC has the same level of volatility or a similar level of volatility, it's a lot poorer, too. So we're really if we we're just going to use OPEC, we'd really have to extrapolate mm -hmm. a lot. And extrapolation is something economists or statisticians don't really like to do, especially that far away. All right. We'd like to be much closer. We'd like to have our counterfactual look like Venezuela, not just in the volatility, but also in the level. 
And you know, certainly for, for years, and certainly back when, when I was in grad school, what we would have been learning is that you, know, you, you take a whole bunch of these countries and you, you, you do a statistical analysis on a whole bunch of them, and then like you have a, a control variable for you know, maybe for countries that elected left-wing uh, uh, populist uh, uh, politicians. So you, know, you, you could use a, you could run a, a, a multiple regression uh, looking at, at determinants of GDP. And so that would be one way. And then you're, you're trying to control for many different things, many different variables in a regression like that. And so that was obviously a, a far more sophisticated way a, a economic, uh, economists would, would try to evaluate some of these questions, right? Sure, yeah. I wouldn't say that that way is problem-free, but it is a, it has been the dominant approach in the you know last 20, 25 years, for sure. And, and I don't know how much you want to get into the weeds yeah. on that, but... But no, so 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 we have have had had uh, uh, try uh, trials to do uh, a statistical analysis for this. But what we want to talk about yep. now is is a, a relatively new uh, technique that's come into effect, and this is what you're using here, and it's a, it's a new, is a relatively new way to try to come up with this uh, counterfactual, and it's called synthetic control. So tell us a little bit about what, what it is we're trying to do here. Okay, so the way synthetic control works is you pick a set of potential counterfactuals. Mm -hmm. Those are those, for our case, that's the list of countries in that first column. And you can see we've added in a couple richer countries because if you look, remember looking back at the previous graph, you know, uh, Venezuela was so much richer than the average Latin American or even the average OPEC country. So we've added in some oil exporting countries that, that are pretty rich like Canada and Norway, okay? The rest of the countries are either OPEC or Latin America, and then we need to have enough data that we can use them. Mm -hmm. So we want to then find some linear combination of these potential donor countries that best tracks Venezuela's economy before Chavez. Mm -hmm. And in this, so we would then take our sample period from like 1960 to 1998 and use a, an, an algorithm to figure out what combination of countries, so rather than just picking, say, Argentina, Right. right, or rather just picking uh, Nicaragua or Nigeria, we would pick some linear combination of these countries that tracks, that tracks Venezuela as closely as possible before the treatment happens, before Chavez happens. And in this case, you can see 20% on Canada, just because of, of the, the relative richness of, of, of mm -hmm. Venezuela is gonna put some weight on Canada or Norway or one of these richer countries. 42% on Iran, that's the OPEC oil volatility, and then Mexico, Peru, and Brazil add up to 35, 36%. So Latin America's there about a third. OPEC's there about 40%. And you know, rich, our rich country is there about 20%. And, and so I mean, you are really creating this, the idea of synthetic is you're, you're, take, you're picking little pieces from different countries to, for the entire thing of trying to match the, the, the GDP per capita in Venezuela. Uh, uh, prior prior to the event, right, and right. Uh, and then that's the way we get our counterfactual. Then mm -hmm. what we'll do is we'll take those weights, and in you know ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand and one, and two thousand and two, our estimate of counterfactual Venezuela is just going to be the actual outcomes in Brazil, Canada, Iran, and you know Mexico. You know those weight those actual outcomes weighted by the weights we estimated in the pre treatment period. That will give us our predicted outcome for Venezuela without Chavez. Yeah. Sort of business as usual outcome. Yeah. And, 
And if you've got a, a long enough period of time beforehand that you're trying to fit this, I mean, then, then you know, I mean, I guess one response somebody can always have is like, okay, it's just sort of like an, a statistical accent. You've got this uh, group of countries that in the past have matched it well, but you know, right. wh what's, what's the reason? But if it's a long enough period of time, then it starts to like, it could be an accident to match them for a couple of years, but if, if, you, can if you match it well over a span of 30 years or so, then it, it's probably, there's probably actually things that are similar in those countries that you are really tracking. Right. This was invented by a, an economist named Alberto Abadie at, at Harvard, and he emphasizes very much a long pretreatment period with a good mm -hmm. fit is really important to establishing the credibility of what you're doing. And, and another thing that yeah, you, you mentioned is important is your, your other countries that you're drawing from can't be subject to the same policy uh, shock yes. that, that would be involved here, because then you're, you're sort of contaminating your control uh, group, if, if you want to think of it from a laboratory experiment uh, perspective. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, countries that, say, had a populist revolution after 1998 mm -hmm. would be very mm -hmm. bad countries to have in there because they're getting the same policies as Chavez, and we would expect to see, you know, we would misestimate or we'd get a biased estimate of the effect of Chavez. Absolutely. So then, you know, what you do is, so here, here's a graph we're showing here, and uh, I'll let you talk a little bit about exactly what this is showing. This is from your first paper uh, looking at Venezuela, right. and this is uh, GDP uh, per capita that, that you're, you're looking at here. So tell us what, uh, what, what we're comparing here. Okay. So we have a pre-treatment, the, the dotted vertical line is when Chavez takes over. Everything to the left of that is us using our algorithm to make that black dotted line look as much like the blue line as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay, those are the weights that we were discussing on the, on the previous slide. Mm -hmm. And here, I mean, I'm pretty happy with this. You know, it's easy to do this for a country like the US where basically line goes up all the time, but Venezuela is a pretty volatile economy. And you can see we pick up that big surge in the 70s and decline through the 90s and then a little bit of the turnaround. So that's a pretty good fit for a mm -hmm. pretreatment period. And then what we do is we just roll that, those pretreatment weights on the post-treatment outcomes of the donor countries to get the black line on the other side of Chavez. And then the blue line is what actually happened with Chavez. And once we look at this, you start to see, and, and this is a, a shorter period of, we had a, a picture up earlier showing, uh, this was before Venezuela's uh, GDP really sort of uh, took off there for, for uh, a few years. but. You, you, what we can really sort of see is that Venezuela wasn't doing as well as, in some sense, it should have. The, the, the synthetic control showed significant Absolutely. improvement in, in GDP per capita, which wasn't happening in Venezuela. Right? right. That's exactly right. So that's that's the idea, right? So what's going on here in this time period is oil prices are starting to go up, right? And that should be driving, that's driving, you know, Canada is getting richer because of that. Nigeria mm -hmm. is getting, I'm sorry, Iran is getting richer because of that. And that's driving the synthetic up. That used to work in Venezuela. If you look back in at 1970 there, you can see that's a surge from the first, you know, from OPEC forming and getting teeth in the 70s. Right. So that surge at the beginning there is Venezuela growing rapidly because of oil prices and the synthetic and Venezuela are matching each other. After 98, we get a similar kind of surge, but we don't get the same matching. We don't get Venezuela performing like it's counterfactual. And we would say, well, 
if the only thing that happened different was Chavez's policies, it's because of Chavez's policies that Venezuela is not living up to its potential. In, in, in your paper you discussed, uh, there were actually some things he, he did in the oil industry, you already mentioned some of them, but had some real effects in terms of their oil output. Uh, wasn't it as robust as it, it was after he, you know after he put uh, you know gained, got rid of the engineers put the, the the political cronies in charge and, and lo and behold they weren't producing as much oil as they would have otherwise and that you know that could easily be a case where they were producing enough that the the, the rising oil prices kept them from falling but you know they, they didn't experience the same kind of gain that they probably should have. Every Venezuelan president had previous in the recent past had used the national oil company as a piggy bank to do things, but not to the extent that Chavez did. Chavez, you know, just was very intent on funneling that money elsewhere and maintenance got, you know, exploration of new sites got delayed, maintenance was deferred and delayed, and you know, production actually just didn't keep up. Yeah, that's 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 right. Well, there's a, a, a technique you talk about to sort of a put together and try and see you know, we're, we're, we're technically called placebo tests. But I mean, I guess my way of thinking about it is that if you look at our old data series uh, and you don't want to know what you want to try to explain, in the past, you can always, uh, many times you can rig a model to explain what you've already observed. To some extent, it, it's uh, to see going forward. And this is a sort of like taking your potential control comp uh, countries and seeing if anything similar to what we observed in Venezuela happens after Chavez, after the time of Chavez's election in Venezuela, right? Yes, absolutely. So the, the gray squiggly lines are the, the deviations between the actual outcome and, the synthetic, and a synthetic predicted outcome in all of the countries in our donor pool, all those countries in that first column of the slide a few slides back. And the, the concern would be that, well, just something happened in 1998 that made the model go crazy. Like maybe in 1998, like, you know, there was terrible weather in all Y2K. of Latin America and yeah. shoved them, yeah. shoved them yeah. down. Yeah. Y2K but we don't see that. Right? Yeah. It's, we see that it's Chavez's deviation there is by far the biggest. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of the better fits before 1998, and it's the worst fit after 1998. Yeah, so that, that's suggesting... Uh, you know, and so if, if all of those like gray lines went like haywire afterwards, it, it diverged, then that would be a, a, a right. section. There is something weird was happening uh, in, in all these different economies. But it's really Venezuela is the outlier there in terms of what happened uh, to their performance relative to what you could do predicting it. Yes, absolutely. Now, Chavez, uh, as he said, he was trying to take money from the, perhaps from the oil industry to uh, improve other outcomes in the economy. So, you know, and, and many people would say like, well, income isn't everything. There are other things that are important, especially uh, poverty, uh, the distribution of that income, uh, health outcomes, especially for the poorer uh, people in society. So you, you also look at some other broader measures uh, of well-being, because although GDP correlates with a lot of stuff, but if your explicit goal is to do something other than growth, uh, then it's not you know, maybe fair to, to criticize somebody. You, you, didn't, um, you didn't achieve what you weren't trying to do, right? Yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so if, if, we look, if we look at these graphs, you know, you can see if starting at the vertical line there on the, on the graph on the left, which is infant mortality, Chavez inherited a situation of about 22, 23 uh, 
infants dying out of a thousand live births, at the, at the end of our sample period, it's down to about 12 or 13. So yes, infant mortality fell under Chavez, but then if you just look back in the pre-Chavez period, you can see it's been falling continuously in yeah. Venezuela since 1970. So it's very hard to say, you know, yes, infant mortality went down in, in Venezuela during the Chavez regime. It's very hard to say because of Chavez's policies, yeah. right? Because it wasn't Chavez's policies yeah. making it fall all that way from, from 1970 onward. Yeah. Same thing with life expectancy. If anything, with life expectancy, we see Venezuela underperforming. It's going up, but it's underperforming. Mm -hmm. it's, it's synthetic prediction. So again, there, there's no, they didn't do as well uh, economic, in terms of economic growth or, or GDP, and, and there doesn't appear to be any observable clear improvements that, that wouldn't be attributable to uh, factors that were already going on. Or, 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 uh, that, right. that was the conclusion yeah. of our paper. Yeah. You know, also, um, and, and so this is just extending a little bit to uh, your second paper where you also look at Venezuela uh, in isolation. And this does include the period of time where GDP per capita starts to rise uh, in Venezuela. But we still see that even when it starts to rise, it's not as uh, high as, as the synthetic control suggests it should be. Yes. That's exactly right. And if I could just take the liberty to point out, I don't have a counterfactual for this, but Venezuela's GDP per capita today is lower than when Chavez first right. took office in 1988. Yeah, yeah they've certainly uh, had an uh, economic reversal uh, since uh, yes, uh, a, a, a Chavez's tragic death. one. Yes, yeah. And uh, a far more authoritarian turn. Well, you, you, you also look at several other uh, Latin American countries, and, and one level to run, one reason to do this is when you're anytime you're looking at one country and ISO, one country and only one country, there's always other things you could throw in there as, as a possibility. You know, that like maybe Chavez just wasn't a very effective uh, uh, populist leader, or you know, any kind of personal issues, other kinds of uh, things. You know, certainly with Nicaragua, I mean, they, they were involved. The, the, the U.S. Uh, through the Contras were fighting a war there that might have been bad for economic growth. Um, so, but, so looking at several different Latin uh, countries here would uh, give you another way to look at this just more generally. Is there any uh, evidence that uh, uh, you know, some of the other uh, populist uh, Latin American uh, politicians have done better? Right. right. So this is the, the second paper that you so kindly put up at the beginning there that, that I've done with, the, with my spouse, Robin, and a different graduate student who now works at RAND, Sam Absher. The first graduate student on the first paper is a tenured professor at College of Charleston now, Norman Maynard. So he's gonna have to brag a little bit, sorry. What we did was we went back through the historical record of Latin America and looked for other leaders that had a policy mix like Chavez. And we came up with, with Nicaragua, which you'd already mentioned, Ecuador under Rafael Correa and Bolivia under, oh my goodness, What's his oh, name? Morales. Evo Morales. Uh, Evo so there Morales. we go, Evo Morales. Right. Now, there are other leaders called populist in Latin America, the, in Argentina, you know, like the Fernandezes, but they weren't able to implement the same kind of policies. They could never get re-election put in, mm -hmm. and they couldn't end up changing the Constitution. So we took Chavez's policy mix. We found all the cases we could find that matched, mm -hmm. and then we ran synthetic controls on each individual one of them, then we all lined them up in event time and looked at an average effect across these four countries. What's the average effect of this set of policies mm -hmm. on economic performance? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we did a slide there short, just sort of documenting. Yeah, indeed, they, they did have a lot of the same kind of constitutional changes that, that we talked about before. And so, again, this, this is uh, putting it all together across the, the four different observations here. And uh, the, right. the story seems to be pretty similar. Again, now that GDP per capita went down on average, it, it does sort of go up, but not as fast as it, it should have been, I guess, is, is right. the story here. And in fact, you could say there at the end of that analysis period that the, on average, those four countries are 20% poorer than mm -hmm. they had to be, or they're 20% less rich than they could have been. Right. Yeah. Right. Without that policy mix being implemented. Yeah. And, and that's after about eight years. So, I mean, in a span of about eight years, they're, they've diverged 20% uh, from where they, they could have been. They're, uh, had, had yeah. they that's a big had, effect. Yeah, yeah. And in eight years, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big effect after eight years, um, definitely. And again, I, I guess you know a part of this is to sort of say these policies have been tried more than once, and and we're getting a pretty consistent story out of this. Again, using this very uh, uh, recent and, and new method that you know right now we we think is quite good in, in terms of trying to come up with a good counterfactual for this. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks very much for coming on and talk about this uh, important issue with us. And thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversations. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business.